Did you know you can get email alerts about every new episode of this podcast? Sign up for free. Just click the link in the show description. The old methods of trust are no longer good enough. You know, the trust but verify of President Reagan with the Soviet Union and the arms race. That's not good enough anymore. You can't trust anybody. You need an objective and transparent basis to know which products are worthy of trust because the bad guys can hack in through everybody's products. So we have to protect ourselves from all of that. This is Kotecki on Tech. I am James Kotecki. Today we're talking Huawei, the massive Chinese smartphone company that's been banned from the U.S. government over national security concerns, a ban that it is fighting in court. My guest today is Andy Purdy, the chief security officer of Huawei USA. Welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on with you. This is a big topic, and I want to kind of ease into this a little bit by putting you and kind of your point of view in context. So you have an interesting background in cybersecurity. How did you, uh, tell me, how did you get started in this field? Well, I was uh, actually involved uh, as a lawyer with the U.S. Sentencing Commission, and we were working on issues of developing sentencing guidelines that were appropriate for some of these uh, internet uh, and computer offenses. Um, And so I organized a conference with some major technology and cybersecurity legal people uh, to talk about how we can inform U.S. sentencing policy and, and how we might affect the amendments we might do to the sentencing guidelines. And so coming out of that, um, when they selected the team headed by Richard Clark to uh, develop the National Strategy to Secure Cyberspace, um, I talked with uh, Howard Schmidt, who had been one of the speakers at the conference we organized, and he invited me to come on board the team to uh, to write the strategy, and that was in uh, early 2002, and the strategy came out, President Bush issued it in early 2003. Uh, I was part of a team that went to the Department of Homeland Security, to the Tiger team, to help set up the uh, U.S. government's approach to uh, to cybersecurity. And your your eventual title there, you were a senior official in the department, right? What was your final title at the DHS? Well, I, I, I was in charge of cybersecurity for the U.S. government, basically. Uh, I was acting director of the National Cybersecurity Division and U.S. CERT. Uh, let's turn to Huawei now. What was the reputation of Huawei when you were in government? I mean, because the allegations or the accusations that it's, I, I guess just to put it bluntly, that it's secretly you know, or, or subtly or somehow uh, t- its technology is serving as, as espionage equipment for the Chinese government or that's somehow associated with that, those have kind of been bubbling around for a while. Did you hear any of that or know any of that when you were in government yourself? Well, Huawei's role as, as an international company um, was so much different back when I left the government in 2006 uh, compared to, to what it is now. I mean, it was a, you know, a, a tiny fraction uh, of the kind of organization, the magnitude, the reach, uh, that it, it has come to become. So uh, certainly uh, the the approach of the U.S. government in trying to understand the threats to the United States, you know, after the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, the, the the impending rise of China economically and militarily was something that's been on the radar screen of the U.S. government for a long time. Not that China was an enemy, but just that the U.S. had to be aware of, of those countries who um, – uh, were building the kind of um, military and economic capability that if if they decided to turn to be a hostile country could put us at risk. And so the U.S. government always takes the attitude that 
um, they, that, that we need to be that we need to be safe and we need to be prepared uh, regardless of what's going to happen. We need to know what's most important and we need to know what, what's most important to be done to mitigate that risk. That kind of gets to the key question here. I mean, Congress, I believe it was the Defense Authorization Bill of 2018, uh, banned uh, the government basically from using Huawei technology over national security concerns. And these concerns have been around, uh, as I said, for at least several years. Tell me, given everything that you've done, given all your experience, how you approached looking at this job as the chief security officer at Huawei USA when you were thinking about taking it? How did you kind of evaluate it from your perspective? Well, I was recruited by a man who had been the chief information officer for the UK government, who had led the UK government on an IT transformation. And he uh, recruited me from Computer Sciences Corporation, where I was chief cyber strategist, uh, with a vision of uh, of a role that may seem counterintuitive to some, but a, a role where I could be a strong advocate from a different perspective uh, to make cyberspace a safer place, to, to make America safer, and that I would be able to, with my responsibilities for the company's activities in the United States, actually have a concrete platform for better assessing and, and mitigating the risk and making sure we, we would meet the, the requirements to, uh, to reduce the risk and, and, and to manage it. And so the opportunity uh, to, to play that kind of dual role has turned out to be exactly what, uh, what I was promised. Uh, privacy has increased substantially in, uh, in everyone's radar screens uh, you know, in those years. Uh, and I've been in a position where I can say what what I believe, uh, and nobody's ever told me what to say, and and uh, I only say what I believe. So it's it, it's been an important role, and uh, I, I think we continue to need to have a safer cyberspace. And the U.S. U.S. has a long way to go to be safer. And I think efforts that can make us safer, consistent with what the real risks are out there, is is what it's all about. And banning individual companies is not going to make America any safer. If you're saying that you can speak with kind of um, uh, some degree of autonomy and say what you really believe, what what do you think about the risk of uh, the risk coming from China? Let's like take Huawei out of it for a second and just look at the macro picture because it what one way of looking at where we are right now in 2019 is uh, the U.S. and China are two competitors on the global stage. Technology is increasingly a field in which that competition is playing out. Um, there are different uh, national visions of how that technology should develop. One is more centralized with the Chinese government, and, and one is maybe a little bit more freewheeling with the United States, but certainly different value systems in place. And so it seems like uh, there is a natural tendency to think of there being certain uh, cybersecurity risks here uh, coming from China. So uh, how do you think about that? Well, I think there are a number of nation states who have sophisticated capabilities uh, to do what they want to do in cyberspace, from uh, national security espionage to uh, infiltrating networks, conducting uh, surveillance around the world. Uh, those nation states have the ability to penetrate any network or system in the world. Um, so the, 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 the fact is that um, the U.S. appropriately uh, tries to look at risk in terms of, you know, what do we need to worry about, what do we need to do about it, uh, and let's track to make sure we're doing it. So when we look, for example, at when a foreign company wants to buy an American company, 
you take a BAE systems out of the United Kingdom. Uh, the analysis that the U.S. government does, they don't say, well, there's no evidence against BAE systems, so we'll forget the whole thing. And they also don't say, well, BAE systems from the U.K., U.K. is probably our closest ally. Let's forget the whole thing. No, the U.S. goes ahead and pursues a risk assessment of that particular company buying the American company. And then they put in place, in the appropriate case, a risk mitigation overseen by the U.S. government. And that's the approach that I think makes the most sense to make America safer. And Nokia and Ericsson, for example, operate in the United States under risk mitigation agreements. There are technical ones called national security agreements, but they're risk mitigation agreements so that there can be government oversight of that risk mitigation to make sure that they aren't subject to the foreign influence of, of another company or another government. And a company like Nokia, with a very strong presence in China, with their joint venture with Shanghai Bell, which is owned by the Chinese government, somehow there are risk mitigation measures in place that have satisfied the U.S. government to allow Nokia to do business in the U.S. And our position is, and I think it makes a lot of sense to have that kind of an approach to make sure uh, we, we, uh, we are safe. We want to talk with the U.S. government about risk mitigation uh, mechanisms that can work for Huawei, just as they work for uh, Nokia and Ericsson. So what's your perspective on why, uh, why uh, Huawei was banned by uh, Congress? What's your perspective? Do you, do you think that the members of Congress uh, who spearheaded that initiative are operating in good faith but with bad information, or do you see some kind of um, other political rationale behind it? I don't want to, I'm certainly not going to question the, the good faith of members of Congress or, or, or people you know, in the government um, generally, um, I think there's a geopolitical atmosphere uh, where there is an awful lot of issues that have arisen, uh, geopolitical issues between the U.S. and China. Um, the U.S. government longstanding concerns uh, about their view that China uh, is involved in uh, economic espionage, uh, you know, theft of intellectual property, uh, that China improperly uh, imposes uh, trade barriers uh, to force American companies that want to do business in China, uh, force technology transfers, force partnerships with domestic companies. But then there are issues about, you know, fair trade, uh, issues about tariffs, um, and there are issues about looking at the world and, and, and considering the risk. The U.S. government has strong feelings that uh, they assume that a company in China, whether privately owned like we are or other companies, that they would do the bidding of the China government. The U.S. government knows what U.S. companies do to cooperate with the United States government. They assume that um, uh, the China government would do the same thing. And so, and if you look back at uh, former Secretary Kirsten Nielsen's State of the Homeland address a couple weeks ago, it's clear and quite accurately so that America feels vulnerable in cyberspace, and correctly so. We are not where we need to be in addressing risk from supply chain risk uh, or any other kind of cybersecurity risk. I think we're starting to move in the right direction. So there's a tendency to say, okay, well, let's bend over backwards. Um, you know, companies from China, let's just, let's just block them um, and, uh, you know, kind of be done with it. But the experts in government and the private sector recognize, and you see the Secure Technology Act that um, the Congress passed late last year and the president signed, you see that there were some influences behind the scenes to try to create something that makes sense, to address real cybersecurity risk comprehensively and to address it relative to all vendors. That's what's necessary to make America safer. And fortunately, the U.S. government seems to be moving down that road 
in, in, in addressing real cyber supply chain risk. Apart from what you know, they, they're, they're doing with us, that's a good thing. It sounds like you're saying that the U.S. government is taking a blunt hammer to the problem in the case of Huawei, but they are capable of more nuanced thought in other areas. And, and almost that disparity is one of the things that is probably uh, the most concerning to you. The most important thing is to make us safer and that we need to ramp up the kinds of mechanisms that seem to be starting to be put in place. And, and that's, you know, that, that's a great thing that we're moving in that direction. There's a political overlay that makes, I think, some of the experts hesitant to talk with us or to talk about solutions that we at least believe that folks in government believe would be effective. Some of the mechanisms, we don't know exactly what they are, but we're willing to discuss mechanisms for risk mitigation that have implied to Nokia and Ericsson and the SoftBank Sprint deal. Um, and so some of the political dynamics, some of the hostility against the rise of China is making people more close-minded about the possibility of actually being willing to talk with us. And, of course, it's in the dynamic of the U.S.-China trade talks and, and, and all yeah. those issues. So it's a very sensitive political environment, uh, which taints and affects, you know, what congressmen say and do and, and what the executive branch does. And, of course, Huawei is not just making handsets, right? It's making the technology uh, that is going to make 5G possible in many areas. And there's, so there's there's other kind of component uh, pieces to this that aren't necessarily at the consumer level. So it's not necessarily just a ban on, say, Huawei smartphones for government contractors. But it's it's a more – it's a ban on the technology behind a number of things that are potentially driving uh, technologies of the future. Well, particularly the communications networks is, is the concern, and some of these are fairly complex issues, and it's difficult in, in the media. I mean, this is a longer format, with, which helps, um, but, you know, you look at 5G and, and communication networks generally, addressing the risk is a shared responsibility, and there's a lot of focus on oh, Huawei and our equipment, but the fact is our equipment is, is purchased by or, you know, our competitors' equipment purchased by the American carriers, and the carriers manage the risk of those products. They not monitor all the traffic, inbound, outbound, anomalous traffic with, with, within the network. Um, and, you know, they can segment their, their network so that if there's an exploitation, which you have to assume there can be, they can minimize the damage that will flow from it. Um, and then we have our responsibility in terms of our products. So we have very strict rules, for example. So one of the issues is not just backdoors, which the DNI folks said you can test for. It's the issue of access to sensitive customer network, customer data. So the idea is, look, you need really strong processes, which we have. So, for example, a lot of people think, oh, well, our equipment is in the network, and so that means all the, the information can go back to China. Well, the Huawei network doesn't connected to the customer network. We use specially configured laptops. They connect to the customer network. Every time there has to be written advance permission for that contact, and when there's that contact, every keystroke is logged and recorded. So you can fully reconstruct whatever has been done in that situation, and you can fully audit it. Those are the kind of measures that are necessary and that need to be done by everybody to help reduce the risk, to help manage the risk that bad people are going to do bad things, such as getting sensitive customer data and sending it back to China or anywhere else. So you need methods for assurance and transparency. That's what it's got to be about. And the old methods of trust are no longer good enough. You know, the trust but verify of President Reagan with the Soviet Union in the arms race. That's not good enough anymore. You can't trust anybody. You need an objective and transparent basis to know which products are worthy of trust because the bad guys can hack in through everybody's products. So we have to protect ourselves from all of that.
Despite your best arguments, do you think that this is going to be resolved uh, outside of some kind of political cooling between the United States and China on the issues of the trade war, on issues of economic espionage, et cetera, et cetera? Because as you've mentioned, that is kind of coloring the entire thing. It's certainly a context, and, and coloring is probably a good way to put it. Um, you look at the world. Let's talk about direct influence. I think directly, I think these measures that the U.S. government is taking and is setting in motion, and some of my friends say, you know, Andy, don't be so optimistic. You've got to maintain a cynicism. The government talks about doing things, and like, you know, some private companies, they don't in the end actually doing them. But the, the course of moving forward, the, the, the piece of people within DHS, the people within this that are trying to create the standards for how you evaluate supply chain risk, I think are really moving in the right direction. And they all believe you've got to address it comprehensively. They all believe you have to do it by addressing the risk from all vendors. So eventually, there's going to be the kind of system in place where you don't need a special risk mitigation agreement. There there will be processes in place to make sure America is safe with the products and services that, that we buy. The indirect is what's happening around the rest of the world. You know that, and everything's kind of a dynamic situation, but the U.S. has pushed hard on our allies to, uh, you know, to, to try to block Huawei from being able to compete in, in, in emerging 5G networks. And incredibly, our allies, including our closest allies, have really pushed back on the U.S., and they've basically said a couple things. They said, well, you've given us no evidence that Huawei has committed any cybersecurity wrongdoing. So although even since the HIPSI report in 2012, the U.S. government said they were worried that we would do bad things, there is no specific allegation we've done any bad things in terms of a major cybersecurity incident. So our allies are pushing back and said, well, you've given us no evidence. And um, we believe there are tremendous benefits that can come from this technology, and we believe that risk mitigation, uh, providing assurance and transparency, is the way to go. That we will only use these and other products, and the, the, you know, like for example, Germany is probably the leader in this. They want to make sure that the uh, all the products are evaluated to a consistent standard, and that can be the way that you can affect risk. So indirectly, I think that work of Germany, the EU has talked about trying to do something similar, and it would be hard to do anything much better than what Germany will probably come up with. Their security agency, BSI, is, you know, has kind of very, you know, a, a great reputation. And now with this legislation that was recently introduced um, by, by Senator Cornyn, I think, uh, suggesting that there be sort of a a shared product testing environment among the allies, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me in the least whether or not the legislation passes that the U.S. enters into a cooperative agreement with Germany and the U.K. and, and others where the products that everybody get, gets, get evaluated in a really rigorous and effective way, and it provides real transparency to both the customers and, and the governments, so that we're going to be in a position that although those kinds of mechanisms aren't in place in the United States yet, that we're going to have the benefit of those risk mitigation mechanisms that in the end is going to make us all safer. So I'm hoping that that that, that activity is going to really generate some uh, a, a good impact in, uh, for, for all of us. And if Huawei becomes more trusted on the government side, does that up its reputation or its ability to make inroads on the consumer side as well? I'm sure you know the numbers much better than me, but I don't see too many people with Huawei phones here in the U.S., although I know Huawei is, I believe, or was recently named, the, the second largest manufacturer of smartphones in the world, right? So it's a huge global brand that just hasn't made as many consumer inroads in the U.S. Could that change if the, the government kind of skepticism changes? Well, it's interesting because it's, it's really two different things. Um, we're talking about the carrier networks, the 5G, and, and the mobile devices is a very different thing. And our phones are on, on the Android platform, and it's, it's really curious because 
Um, the U.S. government, apparently behind the scenes and not pursuant to any statute or government regulation or anything else, put pressure on a couple of the carriers that were about to start selling their phones. Because, as you probably know, in the U.S., unlike some other countries, uh, the carriers are the primary way that our consumers buy the phones, although they can buy our phones on, you know, uh, online, you know, that, that kind of thing. Uh, so, you know, 15, 16 months ago, the government put pressure on these two major carriers to not carry our phones, saying they're security concerns. Well, that's all gone away. Nobody's ever talked about it. I mean, they're not selling our phones. And I would just suggest that if there are security problems with our phones, and I hope Congress and others will look into this, if there are security problems with our phones, then they need to raise the standards for everybody's phones. If there's a risk, let's make sure we're all safer. Uh, you know, we don't know what the concern is. They won't tell us what the concern is. Um, so, so that's an impact. And I think it's, you know, maybe the trust stuff can impact that, but I, I think it's it, it's sort of two separate things. I would think it's certainly less risk the the mobile phones than, you know, the the communication networks. Um, but I don't think that the trade talks are going to be that big a factor. I mean, you know, the Chinese government doesn't speak for us and we don't speak through the Chinese government. We want a chance to talk to the U.S. government about proven risk mitigation mechanisms. Because frankly, you know, the, 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 battle, the race for 5G, the president wants the U.S. to be a leader in 5G. It's not a, it's not a race to see who sells more hardware like we sell. It's a race for the deployment, the benefits, the, the, the job-creating uh, enhancements that 5G can bring with the digitization of vertical industries. The tremendous job growth can, can flow from that. So, in fact, once we can address the risk, you know, kind of counterintuitively, Huawei can help make America a leader in 5G and give our citizens and our organizations the benefits that can flow from that. Andy Purdy, the Chief Security Officer of Huawei USA, thank you so much for joining me today on Kotechi on Tech. You're welcome. Congratulations, you made it to the end of this episode, which means that maybe you liked it? Maybe show that appreciation with a five-star rating. How about leave a nice comment? Maybe hit the subscribe button. Maybe tell a friend to subscribe and sign up for the email list in the show description. Thanks for listening.